Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. So we've been doing a series on fasting. We've been talking about it for the last four weeks. This is our fourth week. So good to have John Wayne share last week in the theme of justice. And I know that was uh, new to some of you, just to think of uh, fasting and justice and the needs of our world and how that, that fits, how we can stand in solidarity, both with the needs of our world, but also intercede for them. And I've, we started this series with a caution, right, from Jesus' words in Matthew 6 around like we're not meant to let the whole world know that we're fasting and we feel hungry or we're looking tired or all that kind of stuff. And if you missed that message, go back to it or you can read the chapter we looked at in Matthew 6. Um, but I'm going to kind of like go out on the limb and talk about my kind of first learnings about fasting and my experience. So I remember just hearing about fasting as, as a younger person, even in the church, and I heard about it like special occasions. This is taking place, uh, we're doing like this special evening or this special focus and we're going to be fasting, we're inviting the church to fast. I remember hearing about it in all-night prayer meetings, like we, I, I remember being as a young person in all-night prayer meetings. Uh, this stuff still goes on. We've never hosted one. The floors are a little hard here for all night night prayer meetings, but we, we, who knows, maybe we will one day. We have hosted a 48-hour prayer truck at the corner of Sources and St. John's in a U-Haul truck. That was amazing, by the way, and I just remembered that, so ask me about that or ask a few others that were part of that. And then I remember fasting with what John mentioned last week, these 30-hour famines that uh, worked alongside World Vision to grow our sensitivity to the needs of the world and to pray uh, for those that are, are, are wrestling with food insecurity and also to raise money. There was often a verse I would hear in regards to fasting. It was a verse that you don't see it in all the versions of the Bible because it's only in some manuscripts where Jesus is speaking to his disciples and there's a response that that some demonic activity is taking place in people and they're wondering how to to deal with this. And and Jesus replies, you know, this can only be uh, addressed with prayer and fasting. It's not in all the versions and so you don't see it because it's only in some manuscripts. But I would hear that verse uh, quoted a lot um, until people realize, well, maybe, maybe we should just, uh, you know, discern the context. And yet, I heard these occasions, and something I rarely ever learned about was the practice of fasting, like regular practice of fasting. I, like, doing my master's, I studied and did a paper on the monastic communities, the growth of monastic communities, the Cistercian monastic communities particularly. But over the centuries, the church has often started these monastic communities as a response to what was going on in the world and the culture and even the church. And often we'd get this, this, uh, this sense that, well, like, fasting is only for monks. I'm clearly not a monk. Um, and so, but, but this idea of monkhood or monastic commitment to certain practices where people lived together and worked and prayed and, um, and also practiced fasting. And so I was kind of wondering about that. And, and I never really was drawn into this regular idea of fasting. About 10 or 12 years ago, I read, read this book called The Divine Conspiracy by uh, Dallas Willard. And, you know, if you're here at Westside for a while, you hear me quote him once in a while, and, and I think his books are really, really wonderful. And as much as he taught philosophy, I think, at Berkeley or the University of California, um, in, genius of an individual, he is just like incredible writer in terms of what it means to follow Jesus and be an apprentice of Jesus and live in the way of Jesus. And I was reading this book back then, and, and um, there was a part where he shared a story about a pastor 
who was wrestling with, you know, how he was seeing God work in his community. And this pastor ended up making this decision that he would fast um, every time that he would speak. He would lead, before he would lead up to speaking, he chose to fast. And it was just a description, it was just an illustration, it was just a story, but I remember just feeling in my heart in that moment when I read that story in the pages of this book, like, just this question, how much do you want God to work through you when you speak? Or how much do you want God to be the source of what happens in this church? I had fasted for blood tests, like many of us do. I had fasted for youth events. If I was desperate for something, I thought, let me couple fasting with that, but never drawn regularly to depend on God in this way. And when I read those, those words, I remember, it was like the, the words just lifted off the page and it spoke to me and kind of changed me. And in being drawn to and then making a decision in um, what it means to fast on a regular basis. And I'm not going to tell you how I do it or when I do it, because then, you know, that would kind of defeat part of the purpose. But it's, it, it has been something that's been um, a good challenge for me over the years. And as we wrap up this series on fasting, I want to tie it to the, to the practice of prayer. And, and I want to start this way, because prayer, like fasting, I think, is periodic and regular, right? Sometimes there's something going on and we pray. And uh, periodic praying is, is something like that. So when we pray periodically, something takes place, we're going to pray. This morning we prayed for Mike and Sue. Something's going on in their lives, we pause, we pray. Um, something's taking place where we need more wisdom, and the Scriptures tell us that God wants to bless us with wisdom. We pray, Lord, give us wisdom. There's these periodic ways to pray. Just this week, um, on, uh, just this week I was speaking with different individuals and three of them particularly on the phone and uh, all three of them at the end of our conversation there was this prompting to pray. Two of them were in the areas of health and one of them was a ministry issue going on in the church and trying to help discern it with wisdom and so we just paused and said like why don't we just pray for this? Why don't we ask God to work in the middle of this and see us lead towards like a solution and, um, and it was pretty awesome because when we prayed for uh, when we prayed for this one ministry issue, we saw something take place like literally the day later, and it was wonderful to see. That's periodic prayer, but regular prayer is our continual conversation with God, our continual um, just posture before the Lord in prayer, not just asking Him for things, but being present with Him and being in a dialogue with Him. And I thought, well, why don't we see fasting in this light, periodic and regular? Periodic, when the moment feels so vital, when we feel like we must demonstrate a hunger for God to work, uh, so we fast, so our body and our souls align with our prayer. But then regular fasting, this ongoing availability to God, this ongoing hunger for God to work and for us to be present to Him. So here's my hope as we wrap up this series. My hope is that we would come to this understanding that both periodic and regular fasting is not some like odd thing out there but it's something that we would embrace and begin to see as we see all the other spiritual disciplines that we read about in, in Scripture and have seen throughout church history as well. And here's an example of periodic and regular fasting. It's in Acts chapter 13. If you've got your Bibles, turn to it or it's going to be on the screen. And this is a, uh, I, I love this moment um, as Luke describes the life of the church, the growth of the church, the expansion of the church. The church is now moved to, not moved, but expanded into Antioch. And uh, we see this moment here that, that has always been, a, a, for me, a beautiful few verses that say so much. And, and here's what Luke tells us. He says, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, 
Barnabas, Simeon, who, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Manane, a childhood friend of Herod, the ruler, and Saul, who we know will be Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which you have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. That's all we're going to read for now. You can continue reading the rest of the story. It's a great chapter in the book of Acts. But here's this moment where the church is it's growing, it's expanding, it's moved from Jerusalem. They're seeing, um, you know, uh, followers of Jesus grow now in this place called Antioch. Antioch is the first place where someone was, was called a Christian. Uh, and so it's a really significant next step in the, in the growth of the church. And then the church is discerning this moment of, well, now they're in Antioch and Antioch is growing and it's becoming a sending ground as well. They're sending other church leaders and Christ followers into other regions and they're discerning to send leaders like Paul and Barnabas out. And God's at work and people are following Jesus and there's interest spreading. And how do they even go about that. So they pray and they fast. And I think it's amazing here that the way Luke describes fasting here is pretty normal. Is there something in your life that's normal that if someone observed your life, they'd say, oh, it's pretty normal about them. I kind of get the sense that this is what they do all the time. Even if they're with you a couple of times or once or twice. There's this thing when we uh, at home before supper, it's our time where we're all together as a family, and like many people do uh, often before a meal, they pray in gratitude, and often we try and pause and think about people in our lives or how the Lord's shaping us or things going on at church. And what we often do is we, we hold hands as a family, whether it's two of us or three of us or four of us. And then if we have guests, this can get a little awkward, right? It's like Jeremy comes over. It's like, hey, Jeremy, grab my hand. He's like, is this what you do all the time? And so we have some guests that will maybe join us at the table. Maybe like some, some of my kids' friends will come over. Some of them aren't Christians, and they eat with us. And we're like, uh, do you guys mind if we pray? And by the way, we hold hands. <laughs> Um, so, so I think if I think if one of these people would kind of describe what was going on in our home at the time, they'd probably use similar language to Luke. Like while I was with them, they were holding hands and praying before their meal, kind of just like this is a normal thing. And uh, and it makes me think like, what's normal in your life? What's ordinary, predictable? What's an assumed practice? And I think we see that here. There's three things we notice here. One, it strikes me as it's almost an assumption that the church is fasting. While they were fasting, not they stopped and paused and made this decision and told everybody we're going to fast. It's like while they were fasting is the language that Luke uses. It's like there's this element of this being a periodic moment of discernment that they would just say, hey, this is a season or a moment to fast, or maybe this is a regular thing. This description that fasting was something regular that happened. It was an ordinary practice for them. Whether we see it as regular or periodic, it wasn't odd. It wasn't out of place. It was an ordinary practice for them. So it was assumed. It was also communal while they were fasting. It doesn't say the, this apostle fasted, or Paul fasted, or Barnabas fasted, but what we're seeing here is that even in the, 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 the chapter before and in this chapter, we see that there's these leaders there, these church leaders, and they were all part of this. They were all fasting. And this wasn't just for a few people, just people that were gifted in prayer. Oh, yeah, this, this one of our church leaders, they're gifted in prayer. You're a real gifted faster. I think you're the one who should do it, right? It seems like it's kind of part of that, and they felt prompted uh, to be doing that. It seems like it was a regular practice because 
among the apostles and Christ followers, this wasn't a two-tier system. The apostles prayed this much, and then non-apostles prayed this much. Or, you know, the apostles worshipped with this much intensity, but other Christ followers only worshipped with this much intensity. There's none of that, and we don't want to do that here. There's nothing that, that uh, I do in my own spiritual walk that you cannot do, or vice versa. And I think that's an assumed practice in the early church. Um, and we also don't hear of a day or an hour. It's almost like this, hey, it seems like they do this, like normally. And then what I noticed in this short little description, it's, it's that it's holistic. In other words, it's not just fasting. They were fasting and worshiping. It's not just fasting. They were fasting and praying. It's like fasting is tied to other spiritual practices. And that's true with some spiritual practices. We could read the Scripture and flow in and out of prayer. We could be worshiping and flow in and out of Scripture. We could be uh, praying and then be reminded of a psalm or a song. Uh, and so fasting here is tied to other spiritual practices. And, and I think there's this beautiful harmony that we notice here between fasting and praying and worshiping, that it's all together. This alignment of body, soul, and mind, all with these means of grace, this means of grace to be present before the Lord and growing and learning and being formed by Him and being ready. And I love the posture here because, because they mention worshiping and prayer, the posture to me is this is not just to get something from God. This is not just something to get from God. Oh, I'm going to do this to get something from God, but it's a regular dependence on Him. It's an ongoing sense of, I want to be near Him. The Scripture says that when we draw near to God, He draws near to us. I want to be available to hear and respond. I want to experience His power and His presence. So there's this posture there that it's not just about getting something, but it's about being present with Him. And there's, then I notice the purpose, because worship, it, part of the purpose of worship is seeking Christ. Even we just ended our, like our, our singing part of worship, because all of this is worship, with just an ex exaltation of who Jesus is. So there's a seeking of Christ in worship. And then there's this seeking of clarity as the harmony comes together of fasting and praying and worshiping. And it's this clarity that jumps out at me, because what, 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 I, what you know, just impresses me from this passage is that fasting is fruitful, there's something that comes out of fasting. There's an outcome. There's something God wants to do. And here's a few things that just happen in this little description. And as we would continue to read the text, if we wanted to, you would notice. And the first thing, the first fruit that's there, the first kind of um, part of fasting is they're discerning a call. They're trying to discern something. They're trying to, they're, they're looking for clarity. They're wondering, like, what do we do? What's next? Who do we send? And as they were, were fasting and worshiping, they sensed the Holy Spirit say, set like Saul, Paul and Barnabas apart. That was what they sensed from the Holy Spirit. They got some clarity from the Holy Spirit. They were looking for clarity. They were looking for direction. Among all of them as apostles and leaders and others, they're like, hey, we're in Antioch. Who are we going to send to this town and this town and this town? So they were fasting and praying and worshiping. They're saying, Lord, show us, like give us some clarity. And the Holy Spirit actually impressed on their heart or how they sensed they heard from him or, or just sensed the direction. And they were set apart to be sent. They needed clarity. This young church movement, without decades or centuries of trial and error or what it means to depend on God, we have like 2,000 years of church history, and yet we still need the clarity of the Holy Spirit. 
how much more did they to mobilize for mission? And that reminds me that that's not just for the church. That's for you and me, that we at times in our lives need clarity and discernment for our vocation, for our career, for our finances, for our relationships. Think about a couple of weeks ago when we talked about how fasting and holiness works together where fasting helps us grow a sound mind as it's partnered with an aim for holiness, this prayer for clarity or this area of our life that we're, we're longing for clarity. So if this is true, why not commit to the practice of fasting in the discernment process? Why just kind of be like, let's just hope for the best? <laughs> How many key decisions do we look back to and we wished we were, would have been more in tune with God's heart and God's wisdom? I'm like, yeah, me. <laughs> There's many decisions. I look back to a decision a few years ago that was partly involved with our finances, and I'm certain if I would have been more disciplined and committed to just the ordinary sense of, hey, this is not just an ordinary decision, am I truly discerning God's voice in my life? Not that he's going to say, do this, this, or this, but the themes, the posture, the values that God impresses on our hearts in that time. And I'm certain if I would have been more in tune with God, I would have made a better decision. But we need this as, we need this as a church. And as we serve God's mission in our world, especially in a, in a secular world, especially in a post-Christian world, especially where we need sometimes to like have the nuance of truth and grace and what to say and questions to ask and, and how do we respond to people and how do we approach people, now more than ever we need the discernment of the Spirit. We need clarity. And fasting seemed to have brought this church in Acts 13 clarity. It also led to conviction because Paul and Barnabas were sent out and if you know anything about Paul and Barnabas, they both moved into where God was leading them with passion and a sense of purpose and a sense of conviction. And this call that they had to go to these other towns was birthed in fasting, worship, and prayer. There's a, just the next chapter over, Romans four, uh, sorry, Acts 14, 23. It tells us that in one town, as they saw the gospel spread, it says Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in the church, and with prayer and fasting, they committed these elders to the Lord in whom they put their trust. So here's Paul and Barnabas now. They've now reached another town, and this happens a few times in Acts, in Acts 14. And in this specific town, they, they, they choose some elders there to help bring guidance to the church. And what are they, how do they commission them? With prayer and fasting. There's this sense of purpose and conviction that comes in this commissioning to these elders. You know, within 100 years of the church growing past Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, we see people often getting baptized so quickly in, the, in, in Acts, and we think, oh, let's do it that way. But if you look through all of church history, the process, the, the timeline to baptism is often changed. And one of the things that changed for the early church in the first and second and third century is that the church was now in regions that were so far from anything Jewish-oriented. So the step from somebody being Jewish to being a Christian, at least theologically, if someone caught the, the prophets and the prophecies and everything, it would be like, oh, Jesus is the Messiah. I believe this. I'm going to step into this. But as the church spread beyond that, they were reaching all kinds of regions that had no clue, had no clue of the story. And also the behavior and the lifestyles that wasn't influenced by Judaism 
was far and further and further apart. And so they had helped people and their lead up to baptism with how they taught them and encouraged them and taught them how to pray and, 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 and even fasting leading up to baptism. That people would have a short season of fasting leading up to baptism as they're reorienting their lives under the lordship of Jesus. So they're fully surrendered to following Jesus. It's incredible to see when you read some of the early church documents on how this was part of the practice. But the next, I think, thing we learn from this is not just a clarity, not just a conviction, but we see that this is circumstantial. Like Paul and Barnabas, it is a moment where they're saying, okay, we got to make a decision. It was a circumstance. And, and I think that's really important because sometimes we have circumstances we are confronted with where we need to pause and say, do we need an extra sense of clarity from the Lord? And that circumstance could be really normal. It could be a fork in the road. It could be a decision. It could be something that seems not like a crisis, but then sometimes there's a crisis that takes place. And in those moments of crisis, do we pause and say, I am so hungry for God to work in this crisis? See, this was a key moment for the church. They were sending out two of their key leaders. This Decision was birthed in prayer and worship and fasting and this heightened moment when fasting is appropriate. And we see it throughout Scripture. There's a, there's a great book in the Old Testament called Nehemiah where Nehemiah works for another kingdom. Uh, he's far from Jerusalem, but he finds out that, that the walls of Jerusalem are destroyed. And as we read that book in the Old Testament, Nehemiah, when he comes back to, to, to Jerusalem and he sees the walls destroyed, he sees just the implication of what that means for the city and his people because he was Jewish. He just, he, he had, the, 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 in Nehemiah 1 verse 4, it talks about how um, he grieved and mourned and fasted because of this crisis. And that was, I think, the water or the soil that led him to then move forward and bring and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. There's another moment in the same era, another similar book, Ezra. They're side by side in the Old Testament. And Ezra, uh, in a different way, um, the Jews were in exile in another, in another country, and they were allowed to come back to Jerusalem. So Ezra had asked the king of that land, you know, for help and favors and, and provision and stuff like that. But one of the things he didn't ask for was safety. He didn't say, like, can you give us some soldiers? Because like from where they were to where Jerusalem was, all along that road was pretty, pretty bad. And they were nervous. Once I was in Washington, D.C., we ate in the eatery district, and we wanted to go back to our hotel. And we asked the, 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 the waiter, we said, hey, I think we'd like to walk back. And our kids were like five and eight or something. And he's like, look, this area is good, that area is good, but everywhere in between is not good. Take the metro. That's what he told me. So that would have been a moment. If we're going to walk, we'd be like, maybe we shouldn't have eaten, fasted, prayed. Lord, just protect us <laughs> along these roads. But that's, that's what uh, the Israelites are feeling as, as they're like from exile going back to Jerusalem. Ezra's like, oh my gosh, the road's going to be so dangerous. And he calls everybody to fast and pray. He's like, we're going to stop. We're going to take a whole day. We're going to fast and pray because we just want, we're, we're hungry for God's protection as we walk back. It was a long trip. They made it back safely. This was a moment of crisis. You can read it in Ezra chapter 8. In the 1700s, here's like a little bit more modern than the Old Testament. In the 1700s, um, England was faced with a potential invasion from the French. And they were very nervous at the time. This wasn't World War time. This was two centuries previous. And so the king calls all the British 
citizens to one solemn day of prayer and fasting. This is the king calling all of the nation to pray and fast. And there was a church leader at the time named John Wesley who was around. If you ever heard of the Wesleyans or John Wesley, uh, incredible story. I read, I read one of his biographies uh, last year, and it's just so inspiring. And he, he uh, was a, a, a pastor at the time, and part of his heart, John Wesley, was he saw what was going on in the church, and he was calling Christians to be renewed in faith. And when he heard that the king called everyone to fast and pray, he's like, oh boy, this isn't, we're going to just call everybody here. And he describes in his journals how the churches were packed all over England and people were coming to pray. It was kind of like a 9-11 moment where like weeks after people just, there was a crisis. And, and it was incredible that what takes place is they're appealing to the Lord. History tells us the French held back, the, aver- the invasion was averted and it was stopped. And when you hear this moment of history, this moment of the church responding, that's kind of the circumstantial crisis moments when we must discern, is this a moment to fast? I mean, I think about what's going on in parts of the world, and it's unfortunate that some of the news in one part of the world blinds us from news in other parts of the world. But what if in this Israeli-Gaza situation, what if governments, instead of sending a gazillion military weapons worth billions called us to fast and pray. What would, that, what would that do? Imagine that. Imagine that our first, our first reaction is not, let's up the weapons, let's spend the money, let's send the missiles, let's do this. What if I was like, hey, let's pause. Now, of course, that only comes from the heart of the leader or the heart of the leaders, and that's not the case in our world. The world doesn't work that way. The world works through fear, not fasting. The world works through power, not prayer. The world works through weapons, not worship. But the kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God is different. And I want to ask you, is there a circumstance or crisis in your life that's calling you to fast? Is there a circumstance or crisis in your life that's calling you to fast? that's calling you to set aside time and withdraw from food for a short time because you're so hungry and desperate for clarity and conviction and breakthrough that you would fast. I'm not sure what that might look like in your life. I'm not sure if that's the case for you right now. But have you even considered pausing to fast for a a moment or a season? And here's the last thing I think I noticed from this text is that What's produced here, the fruit that's produced is Christ-like character. It's character formation. Acts 13, when you think about it, here's a fasting community. They're regularly praying, worshiping, fasting, and they produced disciples like Paul and Barnabas. They produced leaders and elders and, and others that would go into various cities and continue to expand the gospel. Isn't that amazing when you think about that? The kind of formation that came out of a community that was committed to these practices. As they were fasting and praying and worshiping, they sensed the Holy Spirit say, set apart these two individuals to go here. And it makes me wonder, like, do we even do that anymore? Do we even pause and say, Lord, there's regions all around us. There's pockets of our neighborhoods. There's, 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 there's certain things going on in our city 
And as, as if we would grow to become a community that, that just brought this together, a worshiping, praying, fasting community, and we literally said, Lord, we're open to the voice of your spirit, what would stop God from saying, send this person here, start this ministry here, start meeting this need here with clarity and purpose? I, I bet that the community that merges practices of worship, prayer, and fasting is a community that's forming people in the way of Jesus, in the character of Jesus, for the mission of Jesus. Now, there's more things that we need to do to form each other in that way, but I think there's nothing less than that than we should do, right? That should be there. That should be foundational. And I'm convicted of that myself. Do we do that? My wife asked me a little while ago, like, do we ever, ever ask anybody if they're even called to, to full-time ministry or to mission in a specific way or to something that even if whether they leave their job or not they feel called and i'm like you know what we we don't do that as much anymore do we leave room for people in our church community to discern the call of god in their lives that has something a little bit more a little bit unique to serving god as we're all called to do i know in my own life if that wouldn't have if there would have been space or an environment for that i'm not sure if i would have been discerning that that's a side note. We'll just kind of put that aside. But I think there's room for that, more room for that in our church. So we bring this together. Think about fasting tied to prayer and worship. Think about the clarity, the conviction, the sense of being able to respond to a crisis, the formation of character in our lives. And I think we could say with confidence that fasting bears fruit that fasting is not a waste of time, that fasting is not a waste of sacrifice, that fasting is not a waste of commitment, but that fasting bears fruit. Now, while I believe that God is sovereign and I don't believe that I can manipulate God, I can't say, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you do this, you know? That I can't, you know, God is God. But there's something in the scriptures and in the call to faith and in the experience of the early church and throughout history that tells us there's this mysterious kind of place in what it means to be a Christ follower and, and be in relationship with God where he responds to the hunger in our hearts when we're praying alongside his kingdom will and purposes where he hears our prayers and he sees the, the alignment of our body, soul, and spirit through fasting and praying and worshiping and somehow God responds to act. Isn't that crazy? Like, somehow we have to hold these two things in tension that we cannot manipulate the God of the universe. And yet, God welcomes us to seek Him and pursue Him and to pray and to even fast, and He responds to that. Somehow something happens in the, in the heavenly realms, in the heavenly courts of decisions where our fasting and our prayer actually matters and something takes place. Richard Foster in his book on fasting says there can be a breakthrough or a revelation when we fast that can't happen any other way. So as we come to the close of this series, I just want to call us one more time in a fresh way to this practice of fasting. I think it's worth your attention. I think it's worth my attention. Um, Derry and I will probably do a podcast or a blog that helps us with some of the Q&A questions, the FAQ, you know, frequently asked questions about that, especially when it involves some health restrictions and stuff like that. And we want to be attentive to that. But what I don't want to do is, 
I don't want to call us to fasting and then um, some of us will just be like, well, that's just not for me without even considering it. So I want to call us to this practice of fasting. I'm going to ask the team to come up because we're going to wrap up today with communion. And I want to call us to those two things, right? Periodic and regular. Periodic and regular. These periodic moments of fasting, I believe we should be open to these moments that we, it, it's, it would be a very serious, doable, tangible option when a crisis or challenge comes. That when there's a fork in the road of your life or when there's a, an issue going on with your work or with your career or if there's such a, a struggle going on in your relationships or in your marriage uh, or if there's something going on with your kids that we just don't kind of lift up our hands and say, it's all on me, it's all on me. We pray, whatever, but we don't say, oh my gosh, we have this spiritual practice of fasting that's available to us. If, if you know, I was talking with someone about their marriage a few weeks back, I'm like, is it? Is what's going on in your marriage important enough for you to pause and fast? Is it important enough for you to pause and fast for a moment or for a season? Or when other challenges come, the question to me or to us is, is what's going on? Is it, is it so important to you? Is the outcome so important to you? Is if, if a good would come from this outcome, is it, do you, would you even consider fasting for a day for it as you partner that with prayer and worship or for a season Periodic fasting should be an option for us as Christians. And regular fasting, of course, with all the ways that Jesus guides us to do it with the right motives, I think can be, and where possible, I would say should be, a regular part of our spiritual formation. If we want to align our body with our spirit and our mind to prayerful devotion to the holiness we talked about a couple of weeks ago, to the, to the kingdom value of justice in our world like John shared last week, and to this sense of fruitfulness that comes when it's partnered with prayer and worship. I believe regular fasting can be one of those practices that makes a significant difference in your life as you follow Jesus. In, in, in clarity and in conviction, in how you can respond to a crisis and in God forming your character. And, and I don't say this at the very least, I think this is the most important thing, is that this kind of practice, especially partnered with the others, makes us even more available to God's presence, yeah. even more available to listening to Him, even more available to discerning His voice, even more available to responding to His voice. Because what's the point of God speaks if we don't respond? Thank you. That was a great message, God. Next. No, we want, to we want to be able to respond. And so we want to grow in that. Now, if you're here today and you're new or searching or just discovering Christ, this kind of like call could feel heavy. It's like, oh, wow, is this what it means to be a Christian? And um, I would say it's part of what it means to be a Christian. But I would also say here's the beauty of it. Our Heavenly Father loves you so much. He's so also concerned with your life. Yes, at times we walk through suffering because our world is broken. But the beauty of, of fasting and prayer and worship is God has given us a means to be present to Him and Him to be present to us. This is the beautiful news of the gospel. 
this is apart from fasting. I mean, if you're here and you're new and you're seeking and you're wondering, where do I even start? I would just say, start by expressing your, the seeking in your own heart for God. We can help you discover some of these spiritual practices later on, but that's the start. And know that in the middle of this, these practices are there to help us grow this relationship with God. Wouldn't we do this in any other relationship? Any other relationship that's important to us? See, this is so valuable. So my invitation as we aim to make fasting more normal, more ordinary in a sense, I'd just invite you, would you consider what we've been learning the last few weeks and say, you know, is the Lord calling me to partner together here as a church? We're not telling the whole Christian community to do this. And we're saying, would you come together and maybe commit to a, a regular fast from now to the start of 2024? Just the next six to eight weeks. Um, and we've described what that looks like. You know, a 24-hour period from the end of supper to supper the next day, if that doesn't work, and it's very difficult for how your, your, just your body functions and stuff, that maybe it's just a, a, a lunch or um, eating later or figuring stuff out. But we've gone through that, and you can go back and listen to that, and we'd love to help you with that. But I would want to ask you, to, where's your hunger for the Lord in this? And would it be tied to this practice that we would come together on? And what, just come before the Lord. Say, Lord, we want to know where you're leading us. We want to know where you're guiding us. We want to be more available to you, more present to you. And like we say with other practices, this needs a time and place. It's not just saying, I'm going to fast. Just like it's not going to say, I'm going to read the Bible, or I'm going to pray, or I'm going to be part of the church. It usually involves a time and place. So we encourage you to choose a time and a place to express this deep hunger for God that I believe is calling us to from now until at least the start of 2024, which is not that far away. And then we can discern what a pause looks like, what a change looks like, what that, how we check our motives like Jesus called us to. And I know some of you are going to naturally lean in. Oh man, I'm just geared for this. And some of you are going to say like, I'm totally not good at this. I'm going to, and then you're going to naturally not lean in. And I would say on both sides, be careful if you're just too eager to lean in to make sure you're seeking the Lord and checking your motives and being fully present to the Lord. But if you're on this side, you're like, I'm naturally not leaning to this and it just doesn't jump out at me. I would say, hey, wait a second, pause. Why not? Why not be open to the Lord calling you into this? We're going to pray and then move into just a few minutes with communion. Our Heavenly Father, we, we come before you, and as we've been talking about this whole last four weeks with this theme of being hungry for you, that's um, part of, of really the core of why we even talk about spiritual practices. And thank you for these beautiful means of grace, whether it's scripture or worship or prayer or community or immersion in scripture through study. Uh, Oh, God, our monthly practice of communion we're going to share. And also fasting, these means of grace to help us to be present to your presence, to help us grow in the way of Jesus, to help us discern your voice in our lives, to nurture this relationship that you have given us in Jesus Christ, to help us truly be attentive to the voice of your Spirit with the growing courage to respond. Oh God, we 
to surrender ourselves to you and we just commit to tell you that we are hungry. Yes. We are hungry. And I pray, God, for where you would lead us as a church, where you would lead us as also individual Christ followers, God, that um, we would respond to this invitation in a way that is free of the unhealthy motives, in a way that is truly a desire to grow in devotion to you and nothing else. And yet we're grateful for the fruitfulness of this kind of practice. You're a God who is even concerned about the small things in our lives and the big things in our lives. And whether you specifically meet the need in the moment or demonstrate your incredible presence through it, God, we long to be committed to you in our growth and devotion. Yeah, and I just bear my heart fully to you, God, this morning. Grow my hunger for you, Lord. God, I long for myself personally, but also my family and my resources. And ultimately, God, our, like our church community, God, what we call Westside and this local expression of your church. God, we want to be surrendered fully to you. Use us, speak to us, challenge us. Grow us, shape us, stretch us, convict us, God. And give us the years to hear so we can respond. In Jesus' name, Jesus. amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.